0: course will be with you.
2: Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and today I am joined by, once again, friend of the show and uh, fellow nerd, Ria Corrigan. Ria, how are you doing? You okay?
1: I am good, thank you. As always, I'm excited to be here. I feel like this chat's going to be on par with our uh, Mike Flanagan TV show chat.
2: Yes, that's it. So you've done all about, uh, we did all about Mike. Um, because uh, everybody wants to be like mine. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was wondering if you were going to sing that.
2: Like, yeah. he doesn't, I will. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we've done that. Uh, that was fantastic. And now we're going to be talking about two more films, actually. We're going to be talking about... This is Then and Again. And and so we're going to be talking about, uh, from 1951, uh, The Thing from Another World. And then not quite a remake, so we'll talk about that, but then the 1982, the John Carpenter version, The Thing. Uh, and neither of us will talk about the 2011 <laughs> version because um, it was crap. Uh, but we'll stick to that. So 1951 and 1982. Um, you'll probably see a bias as to which one we're going to talk about, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. But before we really get into details, Ria, yes, the thing and sort of um, uh, the thing from of the world. Had you seen the 1951 version before this?
1: Yes, I had. had. Okay. Yes. I have a confession. I have not Go rewatched for it. it for this because I didn't want to, but ah. I remember quite a bit about it. So I have re—I have not rewatched it. I've—I have, have watched the 1951 version because I'm a big fan of things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So yeah, every yeah, iteration yeah. of it, even the shit ones, I watch and enjoy and consume. Um, and I'll be like, I will watch anything to do with body snatchers. <laughs> and so I watched the thing. Um, a very long time ago it's one of my all-time favorite films and did not know it was based well it's not a remake as such but obviously then there's also the novel yes all of that sort of stuff so I didn't know that's so found out about it Went. that sounds like body snatchers because because I have been like why on earth would I watch this one of this version mm. because the thing is one of the best films ever um so yeah and so then when I watched it and quite I say quite recently like within like that's quite, I was about to say quite recently Forgetting how old I am Within the last 20 years I yeah. watched it I was about to say like <laughs> Within the last 10 years It's like no It was quite a long time ago That you actually watched it So I say I didn't re-watch it That's not strictly true I had it on Yeah I didn't pay attention yeah, this I, is like my confession. Okay. Because no, 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 no. I was like, I'm just Cause... gonna wing it and say I didn't watch it. Whereas the reality was just, I put it on and was sort of like, oh yeah, I'm just sort of derping and doing other things. That's not to say it's bad, um,
2: but just my no. interest is low. It's interesting because I, you know, for the, for this podcast for um stories That mm-hmm. time and space, uh, Julian and I did a block of 50 sci-fi. And we didn't do a thing from Another World, but we did a lot when worlds collide, and it came it from you know, came from Beyond the Stars. Yeah, nice. All, all those kinds of films, uh, and there's some great ones in there, but they do all. The, 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 there's yeah, a very one. yeah, there's very much like a fifties sci-fi um, feel, and this you know uh, the thing from Another World definitely falls into that category of sort of like. Um, group of blokes you know usually with one or two women and then they basically just beat the thing at the end and that's it like and that sort of is really simple but like there's so little character building or anything else beyond the really perfunctory sort of like um you know in in the the thing from the world like you get the captain who is in love and has this sort of like a bit of a tit-for-tat relationship with the with this sort of like strong-willed woman who works as with scientists in the in the uh the Arctic base and then the only other one that seems to have a personality is the newspaper guy who's sort of like you know that proper like 50s dog. I'm a newspaper man I talk fast and I report stories here's the facts he's just like all right yeah (laughs) and that's the thing like that is pretty
1: much his entire character. Oh, that's
2: yes, totally. But like, like, there's nothing like there's, else to it. There's
1: nothing else to it. And and I didn't remember that. So so, <laughs> so put it on and like, I'm gonna watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is so bad. Um they put it on whilst I was working and was like, this will probably distract me from my work. How terrible. I'll watch <laughs> it later in the day. And it did not do that. And I was really surprised because my memory of it wasn't that. Again, I wouldn't say it's bad, but my memory of it wasn't that bad. Like no. I, I definitely first time I watched it, sat down and watched it and wasn't distracted. Yeah, and and I was surprised at how little I cared <laughs> this time.
2: Yeah, it's not. You're right. It's not bad in in comparison to other fifties mm. sci-fi films. Like it's that it's it stands apart. It stands sorry. It stands shoulder to shoulder with them in in much respects. But like I say, when you sit down and watch it it's so thin Um, if anything you know you get sort of like when you know it's a problem when i am critiquing whilst watching what Mm. people are wearing (laughs) when i'm like this is supposed to be in the antarctic and the guy's basically wearing sort of like a mac (laughs) (laughs) the newspaper man's running around in what is tantamount to like a rain mac and 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 a you know like a woolly hat And they're all a bit like, oh, chilly. Oh, I just lost a finger out there. And you're like, yeah, because you're wearing like a Burberry Mac, you prat. Like, you wear, you know, and then then you watch the 1982 one and they're all sort of like proper kitted out. And you're like, yeah, that's that's what you should be wearing. Like, you don't deserve to live. You're an idiot.
1: Well, that makes me laugh about that so much. And I really hope I'm not misremembering. But I'm sure at one point, don't they try... To don't they cover it with an electric blanket? Yeah. So they know it's cold and they know they need hot things, yeah. they know they need warm things, and yet it's like I've got fingerless gloves. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, the, the weird thing is there's a there's a great scene in it when they do find the ice thing. So they get to the, the Antarctic. That
1: did I was like, yes, focusing. Yeah. There are certain and, scenes, and you, yeah. And when you consider when it was made, oh yeah, it looks good.
2: Like there's some scenes that look really good when they find the um, the spaceship and it's flash frozen in in the thing. I like all that, and it's so like, oh, it's, it's it's melting them, frozen into ice because it's sort mm. of like you know because the heat and stuff and all that's kind of cool. And then, but then they are, they, they formed the circle around it so you can see how big it is. And oh, that sort of there's some great really images. Yeah, yeah, there's some really cool images and, and stuff like that. There's some really well thought out. But then it just pan back, and you've got like they've had to blow it up. They've actually used a thermite charge and one of them is wearing like a massive parka and then another one's wearing like a massive parka like, they're like extras they're the professors wearing these big coats and then the military guys have got these like big gloves on and like these big things around their heads and then you've got like the main professor and that the um newspaper man and the main professor is basically wearing like just a bobble hat and a coat and then the newspaper man's like just wearing a rain <laughs> and i'm just like no one like, clearly no one likes this because he's wearing like normal suit sh- suit and shoes underneath as well so like, no, no one clearly likes this guy because everyone's <laughs> goes no fuck him. He's, he's he don't in a not get a coat yeah, it's his own fault like he knew where we were going you know pillock what actually
1: <laughs> what do you think do you think it just was like when making it they said to the costume the costume designer they're just like we want him to we want him to stand out. We don't want him to be like, you know, we want to be, able, we want the audience to recognise him from all of the other people. Because there's quite a few scientists that go out. Yes. And I was like, I don't know who all these people no. are. It's very confusing. They're quite interchangeable. Um, so I do feel like that. <laughs> I was just like we need people to recognise who it yeah. is. So just don't put
2: in any appropriate costumes. We really stands out. Oh, I honestly think that you're right. I think there was a costume. There was basically like a cost. There was like four costume racks. And it was like, women, (laughs) anything that covers all. And then there's scientists and that has like blazers and check shirts, glasses and that sort of thing in it. And then there's military and they're all like, oh, uniforms. There you go. Here's your leather jacket and all your bits and pieces. And then they were like, hmm, we have a newspaper reporter. Ah, well, we have, we did another film uh, set in sunny Las Vegas (laughs) or sunny Los Angeles. Here's what he can wear. (laughs) And he's like oh okay fair enough yeah I don't I, I don't understand the costuming at all uh, for for the newspaper reporter so, I get so blatant the fact
1: that there's yeah. <laughs> the fact that there's a journalist there anyway is really weird I well, find it yeah, really the, weird that he's yeah. just like he's <laughs> I like that we just got straight into it he's just like oh, I need a new story yeah. obviously paraphrasing I need a new story I'm gonna go to Alaska. It's Alaska isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm just going to go to Alaska and see what's happening. Yeah. I mean, in general, nothing's happening there. I don't know what sort no, of story you thought you were going to get.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 t- he, he walks into like a bar, doesn't he? All the, the military guys are there. And he's, he's, he has that, although it's a 50s film, there's two actors in this that like have almost that like, 30s cadence of talking. Mm. I think that like 30s, 40s are sort of like very quick, you know, not. Almost like banter, but like not, you know, it's like repartee, but like without the emotion. So, like, he comes in and says, like, Hello, guys, any news? Do we have a story? And it's almost like, well, they always want to go, like, Who are you? <laughs> um, so, yeah, he turns up, and then one of them, the military, is just like, Well, there's this There is this general who is crazy, so we can go talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. What a great story. Yeah. And so they end up getting like, they're just flying down to this. Um, to, to that, they get called down at the, the scientists. say, Oh, can you come down and see this? Uh, we found this thing and we want you to fly us out there. So they fly down. And the moment they find it, they find out what it is. He's like, Well, it's the story of the century. I must tell the world. And they're like, No, no, you can't do that. And, and, and that's the like, thing, because it's, you, like, you. Mili-
1: it's yeah. like, there's no way if there was like a mad captain, servicemen would go, yeah. Come and meet him, because yeah.
2: that's not what the military is yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. It's so. There's three of them, isn't there? There's like three or four of the sort of the army or the the pilots, whatever. But I'm never entirely sure if they're sort of like air force or whatever, because um, they just seem to have some like there's there's someone superior to them who they refer to as a general. But I don't know if the air force has generals. I so think I thought there was admirals and, and flight captains, whatever. Um, but they they just seem to have this sort of like yeah. There's no sort of like there's a captain and then everyone below him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, then, and they just seem to be like this group of friends. It's almost like the A-Team. They're just sort of this group of pilots that sort of everyone just calls in whenever they need them. Like They don't seem to do a great deal. Um, but, yeah, that, 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 this is the thing. None of them are distinguishable other than their costumes to define who they are. There's a whole uh, – and, and I think when we get to the 1982 version, I think a lot of this is addressed. Um, but even let, – let's talk about the alien as well, the, the thing yeah. in this. Because you made a really good point that like you mentioned some of that this isn't an original film. Uh, this was this is uh, directed and produced by Howard Hawkes and he purchased the rights to Who Goes There a 1938 short story uh, by John W. Campbell and so like it was it was gonna be based on the story. However the story and this is fascinating to me because I always find that when you read this sort of like you go oh, it's not 1938 and then we're writing this idea the story is about a creature that has a, a, um, a definitive mass, but then can use that mass to replicate the bodies, memories and everything of an individual. And in the story, this is what we call cool. the character names are Blair and McCready. They're all there and they appear in 92. It mimics the doctor, but there's an excess of 90 pounds or 90 kilograms, no, 90 pounds of mass that this alien is made of and that goes into making the dog and so all that sort of in the 1982 version so Campbell basically and that's the thing the whole story is about paranoia it's about you know you can't tell who's who it pre it predates that sort of like red scare you know this is all that sort mm-hmm. of story of like thing of the 50s you mentioned invasion of the invasion, excuse me invasion of the body snatchers was very much based on the idea of the red scare so in 1938, obviously, you know, you can probably take the Nazi idea or sort of, you know, that sort of thing, and that's what it's written about. But then they take it and just go, eh, it's an alien. <laughs> it's a bloke in a suit. So, so There's no...
1: This isn't, there's no mystery about it, and there's not a mystery <laughs> in the 1982 no. version. There's not, but it feels like... that. That yeah. I should have thought my words out more before I, started, before I started talking, but it's just sort of like, yeah, it's an alien, all right. Let's get cracking now. Let's do some weird stuff with, uh, with like, like the science. Let's like do sort of like little little alien (laughs) things i tried to find the best ways to describe it there's no there's no tension right there's no No, there's no paranoia no there's no paranoia there's no tension it's just very much sort of like this is the story it is presented to you this is exactly what's happened (laughs) now we're a bunch of souls not soldiers scientists examining something it's Mm. just here and i can't i can't figure out whether it was scary at the time or not. And that's what I find so interesting because I don't think it's not, not scary.
2: No, I think it's going for a level and a, a type of scare. Mm. And I think it goes for a type of scare. Similar to invasion of the body snatchers. Now invasion mm. of the body snatchers definitely goes for a paranoia. sort of.
1: Invasion of the body snatchers. Every single iteration is terrifying. To yeah. People.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a massive fan of the 70s version though. Yes. I really do. Um, um, yes but the thing they try this the thing that's most interesting in this one is they sort of firstly that the alien is vegetable matter yes um, and so I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so they play that up but then it it, and it but it, it's almost like they reverse the thing isn't it? Oh we eat vegetables. So here's a vegetable that eats us. It needs our blood to sort of to procreate. And there's a great part in this where you say the scientist has actually sort of taken part of it. I think sort of like you said, it's the arm and sort of been mm. able to do something with it yeah. to get seeds or something other. And so he's actually growing them in his, in his lab and feeding them plasma. Like he has blood plasma going into them and all the scientists are like going, Oh yeah. Well, mm, okay. No one's going like, are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> Only one person sort of says it's against the army guys. Says like, one of these has just, um, you know, killed two of our guys. And you're raising its kids. Like, like what basically, are you doing?
1: yeah. And you're, like, giving it a taste of blood, right? Yeah. It's,
2: yeah. And, and then it's that's frozen
1: the thing. in ice. We don't know that it is interested in human blood, human flesh or whatever. Like, and he's just like, do you know what? An experiment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, you don't know, get a dog and, like, feed it bits of your flesh because <laughs> it's going to no. eat you. That's no. That's, that got away from me, but you know what
2: I mean. No, no, because the, the leaps in logic, was, and I love this because this happens in all science fiction films, and especially in the 50s, the leaps in logic that get made, that the, they are akin to like Batman in the 60s, you know, sort of like some of the riddles, the Riddler would leave, and then all of a sudden like Batman would solve it in some crazy way. It's the same here. They're like, it's vegetable matter. Really, vegetable matter, that's fascinating. No blood. Must be like our plant matter. And you get, It's from space. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't examined, you're literally looking at a chunk of it. You just, and you're now describing it in akin to our vegetable matter. We, our, you know, our vegetable matter, plant matter relies on the sun, carbon dioxide, like, you know, so, okay, I'll take your word for it. Let's move on. And then they sort of, and it just well, it tacked, it tacked the dong and started to drain its blood. It must need blood to feed. <laughs> and it's like, hang on, like, no, What? You haven't seen that. And like you say, then all of a sudden it goes straight to, I shall feed its seeds blood. (laughs) And I'm thinking, all I can think of is Little Shop of Horrors again. Okay, it's going to break out into a dance number soon.
1: It's very, it made me think of a story which I love, Day of the Triffids, which is fantastic. And Little Shop of Horrors as well. It was exactly like, it was exactly that. Less, you know, funny songs or scary yeah um but yeah i was just like this is very day of the triffids and i meant before we chatted actually to to look up when triffids came out but i don't know
2: uh i think quite a bit i think well i don't know actually, it might be the 50s but it was a book wasn't it because it's a novel to begin was, with yeah um well what's you looking for that um but you're right about the plant matter because the thing is then you do get to see the alien um this bit, obviously it's a black and white <laughs> film and so they hide it um and it is quite obviously just a bloke. So.
1: <laughs> so I didn't remember it being as bad as it is, and I'm quite forgiving of mm. films from like 40s, 50s, 60s sci-fi horror films of of effects and what they do. This is particularly bad.
2: It's particularly boring,
1: isn't it? <laughs> Like there's very little to it. I think I like, just want to talk about this film. This is so much fun. I've just laughed yeah. the whole time
2: because it is. It's just. It's like we we now live in a, in a in a world where we have um we have a character that is an alien made of plant matter in Groot. Like mm, mm, oh, it looks like it a tree. <laughs> we have Swamp Thing or Man Thing. We have we've seen characters that do this. And that was the whole point of this thing. Oh, it's raised from a, a seed. It grows from a pod or a flower. And you, oh, wow, that's fascinating. What does it look like? It looks like a bloke with a big head. <laughs> why would it be? Why would this thing? And this is the thing. This is something Julian and I have always backed on about. With these things, why would it look human? Like make it alien. Like make it different and weird and stuff. It's what is so interesting about
1: the alien in this film that it isn't? human and they could have gone so so different with it but obviously I don't know if it was budget or time constraints or or just lack of imagination mm-hmm. which I think is probably what it was and it's like you could have done something so interesting it's a plant that eats people like or or feeds off blood yeah I mean it does eat people doesn't it yeah but um and I'm just like why would you just make it look like he looks like a um he looks like the monster like Frankenstein's monster right yes yes um, but not a good version i just like you could have you could have even gone like poison ivy with it and just like covered him in <laughs> I don't know how they would have done a good like covered him in vines and leaves and or, or, or something that looks like matty. I wanted him to feel like stinky and yeah. dirty and messy and that would have been terrifying
2: yeah, something. Yeah, like why is he wearing like you know a top? Like,
1: <laughs> is he wearing it, uh, a top? I don't yeah. remember that. I he's wearing a, he's wearing an
2: outfit. It. I mean, one of the things I would say is when when it comes to it, one of the big set pieces um, of this film. He's got he's got like a belt on. Yeah, it's, 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 they've just they've just gone. You know, what does what does an alien look like? And go, oh, it's like this:
1: a <laughs> man with a shirt tucked into
2: his trousers and his yeah. belt. Um, is the, the, the fact is that that was is the is the full body fire that they do? Ah,
1: oh, okay, yes.
2: Um, and so I do give them full uh, full props for doing that because he does he breaks from a door and they basically <laughs> set him on fire. And I'm like, yeah, that dude's on fire! Like, there's no messing about with that. This is before stunt guys had unions. I'm yeah,
1: sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's a good point. So from that sort of moment just before. When they start sort of realizing that he's alive, it's alive. The creatures, the thing is alive, mm. and they need to then basically set everything because there's a storm, isn't there? So, they, so is he trapped somewhere? Oh my god, I can't remember now. I should have properly watched it, shouldn't I? Um, yeah. Well, I say that, but from here, I really enjoyed it. So, I'm still not saying it was great, but I enjoyed it. I sat and was like, yes, I'm on board, and set him on fire. And then they have to, you know, the thing sort of follows it and they have to go and keep warm somewhere. I actually really enjoyed all of this bit and thought it was really well done, Mm. especially being on fire, which makes me sound like a psychopath. But I was like... It's a good effect. It's it's a very good effect. And watching it, it, I was just like, this was made in the 50s. Mm. That is actually super impressive that it looks... Like I mean, because he was on fire, but it looks like terrifyingly like he's on fire.
2: Yeah, I don't know what the conversation must have been like. You know, so (laughs) so my back will be on fire. Like yeah, 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 (laughs) and your front, (laughs) quite possibly your face, (laughs) and and they're like, oh, all right, yeah, yeah. How's it going to happen? Flamethrower. And (laughs) he's just like, all right, cool. We're literally going to set you alight. Literally going to set you on fire.
1: Yeah. Oh dear. I don't know why I'm laughing about a poor man being set on <laughs> yeah. fire, but it, like, and he and and in like the sets on fire. Oh and, like, yeah. There's a lot of fire, and it's genuinely impressive.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because he walks through, yeah. and there's like you know because they stay on him for quite a little, for at least sort <laughs> of like fifteen to twenty seconds, and I can imagine sort of like you know Howard Hawks as the director going like, hold it, hold it. <laughs> And it passes out and they're like, put him out. Um, do it again. Yeah, yeah. Take two. <laughs> um, you're right, yeah. Parts of the set are clearly on fire. So they must have just rushed in and put it all out. Uh, you wouldn't do that, get away with that now, I don't think. Um, I don't know, they'd CGI it probably. Yeah. Or I something. So. Um, but you're right, but one of the one of the interesting things is is you know, it says at the beginning of the film, sort of based on the, the novel, who goes there. And so in 51, I don't know how popular the the short story had been. It had been in a couple of magazines. so I don't know who would know it. But with this stuff, when you watch the film, if you were like, well, this is based on a thing called Who Goes There? The answer would be, me! (laughs) (laughs) As he basically walks around everywhere. Um, So, yeah, you're right. The ending of this story is very sort of wrapped up. There's no, um, well, the the story wraps up with the newsman getting what he wanted all along. Like, he literally gets to re- release the story <laughs> to the world. Um and Sorry you go.
1: No, go on. What you say? I don't really know what I was gonna say. I was just like He's so, such a random character. So one of the things, you know, journalists you know really really popular in 1950s 1950s it was it was an honorable
2: profession right
1: absolutely yeah less so now yeah um and when used well in those sort of films especially sort of when you're looking at film noir and stuff like that wonderful storytelling Mm -hmm, way of telling mm -hmm. story telling story works really well um and sort of it becomes seamless you sort of forget that they're a journalist it doesn't yeah. really matter in t- terms of the plot in this it is so random although i do think it has it ends up having a nice end and yes. i'm just like have they just included him being as a journalist for a cool ending is that why
2: P- quite possibly because he sort of he's the one that sort of drives parts of the plot like he's mm. almost like in some cases he's almost like the uh the point of view character because he's not a scientist That's true. That and he's not true. the army. So he's sort of stuck in the middle and everyone has to explain stuff to him. Uh, and also he's the one that constantly points out how ridiculous <laughs> everyone is. Cause they're sort of like at one point, cause the fact is they blow up the ship. They try to sort of like melt the ice around it and they destroy the ship. Yeah. <laughs> And then, they, and then they get the, the body back, and obviously that thaws out and escapes. And he's the one that's like, well, there's not many people that can say they've lost the first spaceship and the first alien in a single day. So I'm like, all right, you snarky git. It's sort of like, you know, we didn't ask you to be here in the first place. <laughs> yeah, you just sort of turned up. You yeah, sort of just came along. Um. So, yeah, no, I, I do like, he's very happy at the end, isn't he? When he sort of like reports... Um, from the Antarctic. He's right story. pleased with himself. He is. However, and this is something I wanted, I wanted to sort of just highlight, he says at one point, because they burn it all, don't they? They burn everything. That's the thing. They make a point of they burn all, the, all the, the samples, all the whatever, the little plants, the big one. And then he sort of is on the radio telling all these news reporters, this is what I've seen. There's no need for evidence. like." Trust me, this is what's happened. That's how pop. That's how uh, honourable a, a newspaper reporter is in the 50s. Like, oh, we don't make stuff up. There's an alien. <laughs> I like... Do you know what? I didn't even clock that. But yeah, he's just basically, you can't
1: even see him. He could be anybody. Yeah. Just yeah. on the radio, it's been like, right, got a story
2: for you, lads. Yeah. Here we go. It's just, yeah, so that bit, was like, I was a bit like, oh, right, so they're going to just take his word for it.
1: Yeah, I didn't even Fair talk.
2: I, I was just like, imagine being on the
1: other end. You'd be chill, you know. You'd be chilled to the bone. Yeah. Watch the skies.
2: You know. It's a good line. I like mm. it as an ending, and I think that the words are great. But it did feel a bit like, is he just going to get back? And they were like, oh, here he is, nutter. <laughs> he must have gone crazy up there in the Antarctic. Uh, just yeah. going to
1: properly look up the closing lines because they are really yeah. great. Have you got them in front of you? I
2: haven't. I haven't. Watched. Oh no. Because whilst you're doing that, I want—we're not going to talk about <clears throat> many women in this episode. Very <laughs> <few. clears throat> but I did want to talk about the the woman that the captain has a relationship with. Um, I can't even
1: remember her name, which is terrible. Is no, it? I want to say it's something like really generic.
2: It is, I'm sure. I'll have to have a look in a minute. But I, I don't know if you remember. There's a conversation. They've clearly had a, a bit of a relationship before. The events of this story that they've known each other and you get sort of snippets of it and it's basically they got drunk together she she out drank him he passed out and she left a note on his chest <laughs> and he's clearly humiliated by it um and there's one point when he confronts her and she's like oh didn't he had a temper and i was i was like yeah is he supposed is this supposed to be sort of like funny <laughs> Or, or is he supposed to be intimidating? I don't know how I'm supposed to take this scene. Mm. Um, and I'm not quite totally sure how the actors think they're supposed to do it either. Because he's sort of like, he's a bit like, why you? Um, but it's not quite anger, but it's still not quite humour. It's a very weird scene. And
1: it feels really, there doesn't need to be, as we'll see when we talk about, the thing there doesn't need to be a romance in the story no, or any no. sexual tension at no. all and it's it's one of those weird choices where it's gone do you know what people love romance or people <laughs> being in a relationship let's totally. yeah. let's chuck that in and you're just like i'm like there's already a lot going on
2: yeah it's already busy don't yeah
1: <laughs> you don't
2: need and it that is,
1: <laughs> and like and she's cooler than him yeah, so, I was why, say, so why are we focusing on him? Let's have her be there.
2: Yeah, this is the thing. When it sort of plays out, she doesn't even become like a damsel in distress. She's <laughs> just sort of there. And she doesn't contribute to the plot in a great deal. And so I was a bit like, oh, you are literally there just to be this love interest. But you've ended up being cooler than him. So you've sort of taken this role and made it your own. So there was a part where it's like, fair play, love. You've done really well this 50s film where you're going do you know what fuck them i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna be better than all of these <laughs> well done i don't know if that was patronizing or not but i was just impressed
1: <laughs> just impressed that like in this film which was a massive sausage fest she was like i'm gonna make it my own i yeah. don't know why i'm here but i've got a role and i'm gonna kill um, it. Yeah, that's
2: it yeah yeah, i'm being paid i might as well give yeah. it my all <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so that's the fit, i I'm sure we'll we'll go back to it. But let's you talk about a sausage fest. So let's talk about 1982.
1: The thing. Wait. Well, first of all, let's the final lines Oh yes, go on, are us go on, give oh. us those lines. Oh God, I'm not, I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and act it out. <clears <clears <throat> I hope everybody's ready for these fantastic. It's been recorded. This is, gonna go, yeah, this is going out. Yeah, this is it. It's going out to the world. <laughs> Tell us the story. This is my uh, audition for <laughs> doing some audio bits. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking, keep watching the skies. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't deliver it like that at all.
2: No, but he should have done. Now <laughs> that's the way it should have done. It should have but gone. it is
1: cool. Like that yeah. is cool. That the ending and those final lines are very cool. I yeah. will give this film that.
2: And it is feeding. It. I mean, one of the things we should highlight is obviously this f- 1951. You've had watch the skies. What? Well, yeah, Roswell was mm-hmm. his 46. So um, the the UFO phenomena is is sort of. I don't want to go going strong, but it's definitely in the sort of the pop culture zeitgeist of you know and obviously sort of post World War Two, so it, it works really well. Um, it is a great ending line. Um, so let, yeah, let's jump forward sort of like uh, thirty years to nineteen eighty two is the thing. So firstly, like John Carpenter was going to make uh, was going to do a remake, and then decided not to. He he, he got the rights to do it and. He, he loved the film, the, the thing from Under the World. It appears, the opening part of it appears in Halloween. Um, but then decided to go back to the source novel and make something a lot closer to the source novel. And I'm so glad he did. Mm-hmm. And, and he's basically sort of like, no one's traveling down. There's none of this stuff. that you. Everyone is there at this um, ice base, Antarctic ice base. Uh, they're there to sort of do um, very specific things. It's isolated. Uh, it's a very small crew. I think it's like it's like eight something like that. It's it's um, and they come across. um, Well, no, they don't come across. They basically a a dog. And I love this. The opening scene. The opening. I love this film. I, so I want to talk about. I want. Sorry, yeah. The, no, because I want to talk about the dog Sorry. actually. Because the dogs really important. But yeah, it opens with the dog. is being chased. Well, for, actually, no. I want to go back even further because there's something that irritates me a little bit. You said this film has no mystery. This film and Predator does the same thing. It opens with exactly the same thing. Mm -mm. It opens with the spaceship coming in. So Predator does it comes in and fires like a pod or something to earth. So you're like, oh, there's an alien in this film. And then it goes to like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Cut that first bit and the whole first part of this film becomes a mystery. The opening of the thing is a spaceship crashing. Now, granted, it's like 20,000 or 30,000 years ago. But you're like, oh. A spaceship in this film <laughs> and so like it, you know when that things when the uh, uh, husky is running across the, the 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 tundra or whatever like straight away you're like well that's going to be linked with the, with the spaceship so i wish they didn't have that bit cuz i feel yeah. that would have added a little bit more you said like no it's not really a mystery but it would have added a little bit more to it but it does it has the sort of the husky running across the tundra being shot at by the norwegians and then they take the dog on, and then the Norwegians come across, lands Land. and comes across Amazing. It. And it's yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh, and then,
1: cheer, yeah.
2: And then, and then Gary, um, who is, yeah, Gary. Perfect name, Gary. Isn't it just? Yeah, you're such a Gary. Um, such a Gary. Shoots, shoots the Norwegian, and then they obviously have this dog. Uh, and then the dog turns out to be uh, an alien parasite that can mimic uh, and imitate uh, any other living form and they find it in the it attacking the other dogs and trying to mimic all these other dogs and then it attacks uh, the others one by one but you're never sure. You said there's no mystery. But there's no, there's, there's no mystery as to what it is but there's definitely like paranoia. Yes. Like you, yes. you are never entirely sure. Right up until the end of the film when child come back you're never entirely sure who is or who isn't infected. Uh, and so I love that about this film. But one thing, watching it this time, that I was I wanted to just mention, and I was curious about your thoughts on that husky. Because there's, there's things they do with it, the way it's been shot, that husky, they they give it an intelligence. Um, they have it watching it ha- They have the, the husky watching them through a window. Um, there's one point where sort of like they're going off in different parts of the corridor, and you see the husky stood there watching, waiting for them all to separate, and then follows one of them off. And, also, and I never realised, like, Christ, they've made that dog really menacing. <laughs>
1: That doctor's out an Oscar.
2: Yeah, like the way it's shot and then it goes into one of the rooms and you just see a silhouette of someone. you' like oh, who was that? But someone's been taken like you know. Um, but I don't know yeah, what are your thoughts on the opening of, of, of the thing?
1: I mean I love everything about this film so much. Um, but yeah you know for me this film is evidence of how talented John Carpenter is. You know, I feel he's very much a cult director. Yes. And I said, you know, I know he's in, you know, everybody knows who, who John Carpenter is, but they know, like, Halloween...
2: If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who John but Carpenter obviously,
1: is... Obviously, obviously. Disappointment. You know, but, you know, I'm talking about the sort of, like, <laughs> the general. masses. Yeah. yeah, and I feel, you know, like, often the, often his work's seen as a bit, like, kitsch or sort of maybe not, you know, lowbrow, you know... His, his 90s
2: references. output tarnished him, yeah. let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. and... um. And and then you watch this film, and exactly what you said about the dog, it shows how clever he is, oh, and God, how yeah. he knows how to sh- he knows how to shoot something. Like how many other directors would be down there with the dog would be yeah. shooting the dog in a menacing way, would be like having exactly like I said, the dog looking in the window. And one of my favorite anecdotes about this film, and I don't know if it's real, I've never looked it up because it ruins it for me if I do. And you might have seen this seen or read the same one, which is when they've got the dog coming down the corridor, they had the trainers at the other end and the dog was supposed to just come down to the other end, but the mm. dog stopped and looked in a room itself. Like it wasn't supposed to. So it just paused and looked in a room and John Carter was like in the can. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Like, because it is genuinely terrifying. That it is. is so scary.
2: It's built up as being really menacing. Yeah. Um, and that, like you said, that moment when he walks in the corner and looks up to the wall. Like, it looks intelligent. Yeah. Like, and, and that's what's really good. And I know that sort of often he's been trained to do specific things and the way it's been cut together. But you were so right about the talent of John Carpenter. But this is where I think John Carpenter, um, the, the more sparse something is, the better John Carpenter Absolutely. is, like his early career. Like, I love Halloween, I love The Thing, I love uh, Escape from New York, yeah. Assault uh, Precinct, 13. Precinct Thirteen is just, yeah, like ugh, so. There's, good. Just, there's just like a like a, a run of films that are unmatched in my opinion. Like, even Prince of Darkness, I love, but that's where it starts to sort of. And then mm. you have, um, and I love it, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, <clears throat> but that feels a little bit like he's like, oh, okay, he's he's going into kitsch, as you said, sort of like he's know.
1: leaning into what everybody says he is. Yeah, exactly. And I and I love Big Trouble in Little China, but it is also just like, come on, you do yeah. Halloween, sort on recent thirteen and the thing. I'm not saying go outside of your wheelhouse and your talents, but
2: yeah, the funny thing <laughs> is, the thing. if you ever watch, if you you know, we'll bring it back to the thing in a second. But if you ever watch uh, in the mouth, of, in the yeah, in the mouth of madness. With Sam Neil, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I've not, no. <clears throat> Highly recommend it. It's quite mm. hard to track down, but in the Mouth of Madness, Sam Neill's like an insurance broker, and this old author called Sutter Kane has gone missing. And so his in his publishing company like, can you find him? Because he owes us a book, sort of thing. And there's all this other thing, but the people starting to go crazy, and they're all sort of like they've all read Sutter Kane, and, and sort of like he tracks him down, and things start to go like it's it's very Lovecraftian. Like he gets there at one point, and he's on the bus, and everything goes blue. And he's sort of like, he knows he's going mad. And every time he drives out of town, he drives past this one person driving the other way. And then he drives back into town. It's very sort of like, it's got these real, but it's it's John Carpenter doing that weird, you know, sort of like sparse horror again. And it really works for me. Fantastic film. Um, but yeah, but that's what he's good at. Um, and I like the fact that you say about sparse, this film is really laconic. Uh, and when I say laconic, it's sort of like, it goes at a sort of, its own pace, you know, like you get the first sort of like 20 minutes, half an hour, probably about 20 minutes. It's just life on the base. Mm -hmm. You've had this incident and they're all like, well, this crazy thing happened. And then they're just sort of back to it. Like, yeah, you got your guys sort of making the food and you've got the sort of like the scientist, the pathologist and all these people doing their bits and pieces. And McCready just sat in his shack drinking and, and playing chess.
1: I could write a whole thesis about McCready and, yeah. and masculinity.
2: <laughs> toxic or, or otherwise?
1: Both. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, but, erring on toxic.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, no, definitely. I think there's a lot of that that goes on in this film.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, so excited to talk about it. I'm so sorry to the other film. Um, yeah. But we all just, we're just we here for this.
2: Yeah, let's that's, that's be fair. Like, you although,
1: know. although the ending fantastic and the standing in the circle lovely great yeah, yeah well done go watch it for those things
2: but the thing is still better yeah. um but yeah there's this, this laconic pace and even like, they don't rush to go to the norwegians there's a bit mm. of a discussion they're like oh we should really go there and you know it takes a good sort of like 15 minutes before they're there and so it's not you know like oh my god this has happened let's go and it's sort of it, it it works at this pace, and I love the fact that every all these characters actually are, are quite well defined. Um, where in the last one they're all very generic; these are all very. I can't remember names per se, but like, you know the characters they have yeah. on the, 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 the there, and and they're all fantastic actors. Like the, the cast have actually I don't, only a couple of them went on to do anything much else. Really, obviously, cut Russell. Uh, and the great um, Keith David, um, um, who would obviously go back and work again with um, John Carpenter in *They Live*. But uh, yeah, so that that. But what, you know, you, let's talk about the masculinity in this thing because there's a lot of competition and you know testosterone kicking about in this yep. uh, ice thing. You know, um, what are your where thoughts on
1: though? where to start? So. There's no women in this film. The computer doesn't count, by the way.
2: Well, yeah. In the fourth what's he do when she beats him?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gets angry and destroys her. Yeah, cause we're exactly. a cheating bitch and yeah. whisking. Yeah. Uh, so, computer doesn't count, by the way, everybody. Um, just the best. Oh, I'm so excited. The best thing about this film is it's a perfect snapshot of the fragility of the male ego, right? So Screw you! I, <laughs> but I, I love the pacing of this film yeah, as well. Yeah. And the exact scene that you talked about sets it up. Before they decide to go to the Norwegians, the Norwegian base, they're sat there discussing it and nobody can come to an agreement. Yeah. They can't decide together. They cannot work together. They don't show any compromise. They don't show any empathy. No, They can't do it. And they've got a weak leader... Yeah, although they do follow him, which I find fascinating, especially when he turns out to be even more weaker than he is because he starts off quite strong, right? So yes, he comes out shoots the Norwegians. So you see, he is the man in charge, and they all defer to him as well. They all say, "Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. go!" I've completely forgotten his Gary. name, um, Gary. Thank you. Gary, nobody cares about you, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like, you know, go get Gary. And he yeah. comes out and you think he's going to be strong. When it comes to making decisions, he cannot do it. And they all, and he's weak and he's hesitant. And so then they all start to phone to McGready
2: mm. that he
1: is not a reliable leader. No. He, is, he is paranoid. He is selfish. He thinks about himself until the end, which we'll talk about. Um, and so they've got no... They've got no one to bring them together as a group, which in films is very a traditional feminine role, right? Mm-hmm. Do we see how their masculinity is getting in the way of everything that they are doing? If they, you know, we see Macre- Macready, he he purposefully isolates himself from the group. They're in, yeah, they're in the fucking Antarctic, and he's in a shack. Yeah, and he's just in his shack. And he, you know, he's he's a pilot. You can tell he feels a bit more superior. You can tell he feels like... He feels he knows, separate.
2: He feels yeah. more like, yeah. What, what, what you're saying is actually fascinating because one of the things that, that did strike me this time watching it, that scene where they're arguing about whether they go to the Norwegian base and things, is, and it, it sort of it struck home to me because this comes about paranoia, is they don't like each other to begin with. You <laughs> no. Um, really like, and you know, we're so used to, um, a group of friends or a group of colleagues or comrades breaking apart. That's the idea It's sort of like the tragedy of friends breaking and turning on each other, but they're not friends in this. So there's no tragedy because it is just sort of like them, you know, um, I, I think Charles would happily turn a gun on any one of them at any one point, you know, um, and so you're right, there is, this, there's this buffering of egos going on of sort of like, you know, who's Johnny Big Bollocks out of the group, really.
1: There's no, um, there's no fan, you know, there's no, if we were to watch a different type of film that was about this it would be it's exactly as it'd be the alien comes in and splits up the family it splits up the group yes. and they realize they have to work back together mm. you know, like every single like horror film convention, you know convention they have to work together to defeat the bad guy or the kill, you know or action film whatever it's such a big trope we see it all the time But here, they are not a family. They're a bunch of men who have been dumped in a place together in a research station, and they're just getting on with their jobs. They're not... Apart from, like, a couple, you can tell they've got some friendships, but not as a cohesive whole. They are not going... Um, You know, they're not sort of like, how are you doing? What's going on with your job at the moment? Everything's really separate. And we know that from small queues. So we find out that they haven't heard from anybody in three weeks, Mm. the guy on the radio. But we only know that because somebody comes and asks, they should already know that. Yeah. Everybody in this group should know that they have not been in contact with anybody for, yeah, for three, three
0: weeks, weeks. but yeah. they
1: don't because they're all so isolated. So he just drops these little clues that the whole film is so fucking clever. Yeah. And it's like these little breadcrumbs that show, that when you watch it a million times like I have, you go, they are never going to defeat the thing. It's no. never going to happen. There's no setup that they will be able to. From the very beginning, you know. They are going to fail, and yet I still find it completely compelling. And I know this turned audiences off from it; they thought it was mm. really depressing, um, and and you know didn't didn't get on board with it. But it's the thing I love about it. It's the thing I love about it the most. That they don't win, and they're never going to win because they right. cannot work together.
2: So you've so you because you're right. Because one of the things about this this film is, from the get go, you're right. This is not a heroic film. No. You know, because of Kurt Russell, even to this point, Kurt Russell to this point, you know, he became the action knee sort of person following Escape from New York. So he hadn't really fallen into that slot yet. John Carpenter made him that, you know, and then he obviously had Tango and Cash. So he hadn't had that transformation yet. So there was no real identification of like, you know, like, a, I don't know, even in 81, I don't know, like a Clint Eastwood or something. Like if you were put to, to put Clint Eastwood in that role, you'd be like, oh, Yeah. Like he'll be hard, but he's clearly going to be the hero sort of role. Well, maybe not Clint Eastwood. That's probably because he would be a bit darker. But like you'd know there'd be characters or actors that you'd be like, oh, they're close. They would only be a hero. You know, that's the sort of like the character. But yeah, no one in this feels like they are to be the hero. Like Macready is the protagonist, mm. but he's never really the hero. Um, and you're right when you say about him being selfish because one of the interesting things watching it again this time you realise because obviously Blair. Is is the pathologist and the scientist. He's the one that sort of determines this thing can replicate cells and all this other stuff. And then he calculates how quick it would take over the world. I love Blair. Yeah. And so Blair is it,
1: on it. Blair is good at his job.
2: So when he calculates it at 27,000 hours, which is just over three years. So you're like, Christ, that's that's you know, quite a lot, feels like quite a long time. But he's like, but we don't have a chance. Yeah. Like we and so he's the one that like, he goes nuts and then obviously gets put into the tool shed. But he is also the one that like when just as McCready's leaving and they lock him in the tool shed, he's like, Watch, um, I don't know which one is this. It says, watch so-and-so, the one who looks after the dogs. Watch so-and-so, he was left alone with the dogs. So he's stoking the paranoia. Clark. Clark he says, Watch Clark. He was alone with him for at least an hour or whatever. And so your attention automatically falls on Clark, because you're like, oh, Okay, well, he's you know, he's the the one. And what you realize is that Blair's stoking a paranoia in MacReady and in the audience. Uh, and again, you talk about how clever this is, and I love that, that they have like meta moments like that where you have characters feeding, it's not exposition, it's feeding that paranoia, but it's feeding the audience's paranoia as well. Um, and it's just so well done that you do sort of like, even I've watched this a number of times, I'm still going like, yeah, is, it, is that one of, yeah. you? Yeah. So, yes. that's, and
1: that's what's so good about it, because you do exactly that. And you, I've watched, as you said, you know, I've watched this film so many times and they still sit there and I go, I feel like I need a wall chart for fun, this is the sort of yeah, I yeah. Do for fun, to, like, map it out and be like, so he was alone then, but then he had contact with that person then, and then it had that, and then this happened. And then we get to the blood scene, and obviously I know who it is now, mm. but I still recall the first time watching that scene.
2: Yeah, I didn't,
1: even this time, no I was like... No clue, you know, yeah. who it was. And, and, you know, even, like, like you said, the first few times after I'd watched it, like, next few times I watched it, it was like... Because it's so well done, and nobody... Yeah. The performances, nobody gives anything away in lesser hands they would do. There would be some cheesy little scene where it's obvious because it's nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But this film doesn't treat you like that. This film treats you um, like an intelligent audience Mm. or that like you're there in the research centre with them. And I think that's what's so special about it. I think that's a reason why... Lots of people didn't like this film. When it came oh, yeah, I, this, this film was movie, ahead of its time. Like, we love it now because yeah. because it treats us like an intelligent, smart audience. It wants us to go along for the journey and it wants us to feel everything that they're feeling and it achieves that.
2: This, this is the thing, I think, with these early John Carpenters. Um, I think John Carpenter was ahead of his time.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, he... Get this film, like, watch this film during the pandemic and about yeah. paranoia. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, he's yeah. got
2: it. Even well, he, like assault, assault on Precinct 13, mm. you know, you mm. watch that and this idea of sort of like, you know, um, war on the police or whatever you want to do, the, the isolation. Yeah, the isolationism yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's all there. And that is a great film. Um, even the remake of that was actually pretty good, but the original yeah. is fantastic. But the same with. Um, uh, I Love Escape from New York, which is 1980 And even Halloween The idea of that, that sort of, again, that laconic pacing Which people sometimes count for boring And you're like oh, nothing happens like, No, it's about building attention It's about building a character so that when something does happen You feel something Like, you know And I think that's what he really achieved But yeah, right, I don't think audiences were Ready for this To be so bleak um, And you know how sort of directors have Like thematic trilogies um, uh, Terry Gilliam has his Imagination Trilogy and, and John Carpenter has his Apocalypse Trilogy I don't know if you know this because you you, you I don't think you've seen the other two parts of it but this uh, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness forms his Apocalypse Trilogy and it's basically films that are bleak, it's just films where he's gone like yeah no like you know there's this bleakness throughout and I'm going to challenge you to sort of um to, to basically like challenge to watch them a little bit. You know what I mean? And the thing is a great way to start that because mm. it's just sort of like you're separate from society. <clears throat> so there's no social contract. There's no social norms. It is, like you say, just a bunch of egos trapped in this place. And then just whatever agreement. And I think, like you say, one of the things that's interesting about why they defer to Gary, because he isn't a great leader at all. like you know, uh, And you, you make a great point. He gets weaker. But it's almost like men in that sense fall into that position of um, this is the hierarchy we've been told exists. And so they accept it to begin with because Gary's got the badge sort of thing. <clears throat> and it's quite clear that that's the place because everyone's sort of like, you know, and you're nodding away because it's, I don't, don't want to steal your point, but that's clearly the point, isn't it? Like, well, Gary's in charge because we've been told he's in charge until it goes pear-shaped. Um, but yeah, so th- I, I find that all fascinating. That that is just it. It's just, it's just sort of, like, you know, it, it crumbles once it's challenged. Um, Summed it up perfectly.
1: I couldn't put it better. Yeah. <clears throat> um,
2: one one of the things that's interesting that they go to the Norwegians because the other thing as well is you talk about Macready and him being a bit of a tosspot. He doesn't refer to them to the new. He knows they're oh. the Norwegians, but he keeps calling them something the Swedes. The Swiss, whatever. Like there's this sort of like dismissiveness about them, isn't there? And it's clearly sort of like, I don't know, him just being a dick. He's um, so
1: annoying. Why do I like him so much? He's such an interesting character. Yeah. Like, like, because he is such a dick, but also he he ends up doing the right thing. You know, he is about the greater good. And is then he, though? we've I think he is. Well, I mean, I think the ending's open to interpretation, mm. and not just that who is infected, who's not. I think there's there's multiple things you can take away from the ending. I think you can take away. You, you, I think you can see the ending's quite hopeful. I think that's a personal preference. I don't think I particularly do personally, and I like it that way. Don't ruin it for me. But um you know, but we start to see more about him when he's leaving the message, and he, you know, he's. So he's doing that recording, but yet he's vain about it. He stops it and listens back to see, you know, why is he listening back? Is it to see how he sounds? Is it to see you well, know, if, he's, if he's actually telling the truth? Is he a reliable narrator in this recording that he's leaving? And, and I think that's from the writing of the character. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's
2: from the performance. What's interesting about that, actually, if you watch what he does, <clears throat> he makes a statement. About what's going on, I can't, I can't remember entirely what he says, but it's relatively like I'm keeping an eye on it, basically, because he's found those, uh, or someone uh, the the, sh- the cook has found those long johns have got the tears mm-hmm. in them. So He, he mentions about that. But
1: she just fondles all the way through. just so yeah, which weird. is
2: really creepy. It's like so I know creepy. he's supposed to be like, this. clearly guy be as if you're considering them, and he's almost like, <laughs> like it's no, totally that's not you creep. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's talking about those. But then he what he does, he, re, he rewinds it, listens to it, and then he actually records, records over, over it yeah. the ending and actually says, I don't know what we're gonna do. And so instead of saying basically, I'm gonna keep an eye on it, it's actually, no, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like he comes to that conclusion like there and then of like, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like there's nothing to do, McCready out kind of thing. Um and so he wants to leave that message, but it's not like a hope, like you say, it's not a hopeful message. It's not like a, you know, I hope when someone finds his message, we'll sort of like, you know, they can tell the truth of the heroics that went on here. It's basically sort of like, no, this thing happened and it was awful.
1: And he's almost self soothing, right?
2: Mm. Well, self medicating.
1: Yeah, <laughs> is there actually an audience for this recording he's leaving? You know, who is it for? And I find that so interesting. Mm. I find it so interesting when, um, when they're doing the, the blood tests and, you know, and he's being challenged and he just shoots him in the head.
2: Yeah, he shoots Clark.
1: And he just, there's no, there's no hesitation. Yeah, but he's been
2: suspecting Clark for a while, hasn't he? He has,
1: but, but it, you know, I love that there's, you know, again, in lesser hands, we would see a conflict Yeah. yeah when yeah. he does that. And there is none, there's no pausing, there's no hesitation. It's just bam, done. And that's it. And then you know, Charles turns around and says, So he died from nothing, you murdered him.
2: And well it's like they, they do the blood test and they prove yeah, yeah. that they prove that the client wasn't a thing. And, and he, it's just, and like, he's just
1: like it's basically like all's fair in love and war. That's how yeah, it's it like exactly. Yeah, we are at like, war. Like, yeah. It's a casualty.
2: Yeah. I think his his opinion very much at that point is, well, I'm still alive. Yeah. You know, we're here. Like he's not, but he made a bad call. So, you know. Um, and and I, I think what's interesting is it was as well actually you because they took you mentioned child and I want to mention child because Keith David Ace like is is yeah. absolutely awesome. Um, but the the character of child is at several points at one point Gary gives up the gun, um, like you know which is obviously that not even sort of figurative like, it's a literal giving up of leadership. <laughs> he puts it down and says, well, you know, you clean it. Trust me, someone else got me in charge. And McCready gets all the kit. Um. And it's like thing, like I say, people seem to defer to McCready because they all like him. It's about you like but because you're, you're likable doesn't mean you're a particularly good leader. Yeah. But I like the bit that when Child goes to grab the gun and they're like, "No," like you know, we need someone with less of a temper. Um, and Child is clearly that character, sort of like clearly got short temper. Like his, although he calls out, and this is the thing that I find is obviously you know, the irony of the situation is, although he's calling out. Um McCready for killing Clark, there's no doubt if the tables are turned, like Charles would done exactly the same, yeah absolutely um, and so he's a complete hypocrite in that scenario, so and, and that's what I mean about these characters sort of like, they're the two egos like right? they're, they're two sort of like the alpha males that are sort of like battling out for that control um and so obviously they're the two left at the end I'd and love
1: should... to see a version of this from Charles's point of view. Because obviously we get it from MacReady. He's, as you said, our protagonist. Having Charles as our protagonist, having them side by side, like watching them side by side, would just be amazing.
2: That would be really interesting, actually, wouldn't it, to have that as a different dynamic, especially from like 1982, sort of.
1: And just like him watching, as a black man watching MacReady, who is clearly paranoid, making all these decisions and going... Should he be making these decisions? Where is my position in this group?
2: And not yeah. con- he doesn't consult anyone, like he really sort yes. of he just sort of makes sort of um he makes the decisions, doesn't he? Then starts that barking orders.
1: Yeah, and, and Charles, you know, Charles, like he's again another really interesting character. Like he is clearly not used to being bossed around. he's, no. he's like the head mechanic, right? So he's mm. in charge, he knows his shit. And he, you know, he has a fantastic attitude of, like, I am not taking anybody's shit as well, you know, in this dynamic where he could just be quiet and back down and yeah. he's not having it. He's like, this is this is where almost my moral code is and I am not going to step back from it. And so just seeing it from his point of view, just being like, this guy is clearly a paranoid
2: He's psychopath. drunk. This drunk, drunk yes. clearly an <laughs> idiot. Like, watching
1: yeah. it all fall around around him and going, if I was in charge, would this be a different... Yes. outcome
2: yeah and that's interesting isn't it because it, the film it, it never gives you that but you know in that moment if child had got the gun before mccready you probably would be watching that film mm. you'd be watching child in, in you know child in charge and it would be a very different ending um, but obviously you know let, let's let's move on to the sort of as it goes forward to the ending um They do start to die. Uh, the first one is there's um the beardy one. I'm going to forget their names, but the beardy one. Beardy is... one. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. It, it, it's it's really hot. it's yeah, so Sorry, hot. my brain is melting. It is like
1: mad that we've managed to talk this yeah. amount of time. Um, I'm sweating
2: like you cannot yeah. believe. I, I've lost about a stone and a half. <laughs> just... um, but yeah, he, he's fun. And I love that shot where he's sort of like, you know, they know he's been taken and he's walking across the snow and he turns and his hand hasn't quite finished. Yeah. And you have a horrible noise that he sort of like he makes. Um, and then they just blow him, sort of covering him in the, in the fire. And that's it done. Talking about that, that the body burn, like you get quite a few of them in this and some great ones. Um, <coughs> but then uh, your man, again, the, the, the chubby one, Sorry. I can't say anything, but yeah, this you're hot. I'm hot, but the other guy, he he has a seizure, doesn't he? And he dies, um, and that's where you get the renowned, incredibly famous scene where they get the defibrillator out, and you know he, he just jolts him once, and he goes in to do it again, and the chest cavity, the stomach cavity, opens up like a set of teeth and bites off the doctor's arms. Awesome. It's just fantastic. But I love the fact that, 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 that it's defending itself. They keep saying that, like the, the thing uh, is, a, is a reactive, defensive creature. And so it's not attacking the doctor because it's like, it's attacking because it just, he just electrocuted it. So he's like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> and so it bites his arms off. And I love that. Like, you know, Phil, is it, yeah, it was Phil Tippett that did this. And it was, yeah, who did the, the special effects? Uh, was it Rob?
1: No, it, wasn't yeah, Rob Bo, it
2: wasn't Rob team was it? It was.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, um... Yes, Robbo-teen. Robbo-teen. Yeah,
2: it's Robotine Teen. And so, yeah, like, you get that wonderful thing. And then the bit, like I said, they fight, they, blow, you know, they get the flamethrower and they shoot it and then they get them where their head pulls off to escape and then the legs sprout, the spider legs sprouts out of the head and the eyes come out of the neck and it sort of like tuttles off. And you just get that moment when they all look around and was like, hell no! <laughs> yeah. <I'm> f- <laughs> You'd just um, be like, fuck this. Just fuck yeah. it. Yeah, it would be. Like, yeah,
1: I was, was going like, to kill myself. Yeah. I would totally to be like, I'm, I'm done. And in, that's,
2: in a, that's what you're going no, so in a, In that moment, in a film that's very much devoid of humour, because this is not a funny Chuckles film, that moment when they do all turn around and they see that thing and there is that like a what the fuck look on their face. Like, it, it's funny, but you are the, you, you're with them going like, yeah, what the fuck is going on? Like, this has gone from naught to 60 now. Um, so I love the fact that that moment stands out because of everybody's reactions. Like it's, it's one of those great moments caught on, on film.
1: And it's my so, favourite thing, tension and release. You yes. know, you know, that's my, why I love horror films, because I think the tension release, although there are horror films I love that has no release. Uh, yeah. Hello, Midsummer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, in, in the run up to it, the thing, it's so interesting. You say it's defensive. It is defensive because it works in the shadows, it's yes. not flashy. It's not a flashy creature. It's, you know, it it wants to assimilate quietly and quickly. Yes. It doesn't want to be caught. And it's being forced into a position to reveal itself. And that happens a couple of times. Like yes. it doesn't want to do that. And it's vulnerable, which is also really interesting because it's so fucking scary in the build. I'm yeah.
0: saying
1: fuck a lot. Um, you know, and, it, and it's they force it to reveal itself but they don't purposely force it to reveal itself it's not like they've got a plan to do it and and that's why the writing's so good because it feels like this is what would happen oh you know, yeah yeah like if you get a bunch of men isolated and there's a problem they will fight it out yeah they won't work together I mean I, I don't think this is true of all men but I think you know no but you I mean, need an element of camaraderie to begin yes, with and there isn't that yeah, if you um, get, get men like these men, this yeah. is what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, and, and every success that they have isn't necessarily through their own competence.
2: No. No, it's luck, but more than anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. But like, and, but it's, and it's so, it's, I just think it's so interesting. And, and it, that's purposeful. John Carpenter has done this on purpose. He has something to say. Yeah.
2: Well, one of the things is interesting about this whole point this this moment that happens with the the chest cavity opening up, like you've not been looking at that character. Like they purposely again have kept him, so he's not he's not in the background. as in sort of like he's not an extra, but he's not one of the key alpha males. Like he's ke- clearly a bit of a you know I don't want to say a beta male, but he's he's, he's a he's lower than Macready and Child. Like he's just a bit more like I just want to survive. I'm not in this for leadership. Yeah, he's, so he's like he's a geologist,
1: right? He's yeah. not.
2: He's no, like, he's I not. just want
1: to come and do my geology. I want to,
2: yeah, I just want to sort of play with rocks.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but like, he's, he, yeah, so he sort of plays, so you never suspect him. You've had Clark pointed at you. Um, you've had... Um, but by this time you've had MacReady, right? MacReady has been, yeah, MacReady has been pointed at as a potential as well. And so you've had a couple, but he's like that. So when he has that seizure, and again, because he has a seizure... You're like, well, the, an alien thing went not have a seizure. That's like the, that. What would be the point? That's bizarre. So you don't think of it. So the moment that thing opens up is again like it's a you know it must be like a bloody hell. I was not expecting that. Like a proper um, shocking moment. And again, like I said, that building of mystery, like uh, not mystery, but like that paranoia and that thing. And then beyond that moment, that's when you're like, could be anybody. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of at that point, it's anybody's guess. And, and I love that, that t- even That's towards right. the end. Yeah. Um, and it does then build up to, uh, that kills them off one by one. They start to do things. As you say, they turn on McCready. Um, He basically carries around sticks of dynamite. Amazing,
1: strapped across him. Yeah, that's (laughs) not safe, dude. No, especially
2: when he's carrying around like a flamethrower. He's just like
1: "Eh." such a loose cannon. I'm like, why is anybody letting you be in charge? The the three things. Well, they're not by the end, are they? No, taken charges.
2: The the three things that he carries around with him is a (laughs) flamethrower, sticks of dynamite, and a bottle of whiskey. (laughs) Dude. It's a good Saturday night, that is. <laughs> you are unstable. That's, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so, um, yeah, but obviously
2: they get the paranoia. So the ending is is it, there's, a, the, the, there's all this middle act of all the paranoia. You get all the different people and all the different things. like uh, Blair's in, he's been locked in the shed, and they'll find stuff out there. They suspect so, and so they do the blood test. But then they go to check on Blair to do the blood test. And he's gone. He's not there. The shadow. And they find. Now I'm curious about this bit. Did he dig this hole? I have
1: no fucking clue about the hole. I don't think about it because I'm like, if I think about it too much, I won't love this film yeah, as yeah. much as I do. But How there's a has hole. he done that hole? With like his bare hands? I
2: don't know. We well, don't know. He's got tentacles and stuff, hasn't he? So it's true. Possibly. That is true. Yeah. But they go down this hole, and he's already starting to build. Like he's he's foraged from the trucks and the helicopters and stuff, and the bits and pieces, and he's building a ship is building like a one-person ship, and I love that. This little yep. thing, and I'm like, that's like proper mad. That is like this thing's been going on. Like whilst they've been stashed away in um, their own little paranoid world, thing Blair has been happily sort of like you know whistle while I work, building this spaceship.
1: And it's the misdirection, isn't it? Yeah, it's so clever because because you're trusting in Blair. He's the scientist. He's like the medical officer guy. He's the one who figures it out. They go and put him in the shack. Yeah. And he, he hangs up the noose. So fucking dark. you know. In, and that speech.
2: So, man. When he's got the noose there, he's just like, yeah. I'm ready to come back in now, MacReady. I'm better. And yeah, you've got, you got the noose hanging there. And MacReady's like, no, nah, you're not.
1: As somebody who's had quite serious mental health problems, I am Blair. <laughs> not yeah. anymore. But at points in my life, I've been like, I feel you, Blair. Yeah. <laughs> but also you have to think, when, so when was he Thing, Blair? You know, how much, when does the act What start? took him? Yeah. When, at what time does it start? Is it, he, is it some point in the shack? Is it beforehand? So if it's beforehand, he's playing a part. Yeah. There. And it's so, like, and I love that. And I love that you think about it. Like I said, I've seen this film so many times and I think about it and well, I think about there's it. There's a really and, good, they make but, a really
2: creepy point at one point when they talk about the doctor. It's not the doctor, it's one of the other guys actually says, um, to a single cell or a single part of this is enough to take over somebody um so we really should prepare our own meals mm-hmm. and eat from cans and see like you're saying like you know, they've been up like you don't know what's been going on as to who got to so how or how much like, you know it could be one of the dogs we don't know that we actually got away because when they when they get to the dogs, some of them scarper out don't they mm-hmm. Um, obviously Blair comes and kills the dogs later but like you don't know one of them didn't get him then or whatever so yeah there's a, it could have happened at any point so I love that that that's part of this paranoia this, this is part of the mystery um
1: we also but, love he's just like fuck it I'm making myself a shit see you later yeah.
2: um, but he doesn't attack them and they they sort of defeat him and do the burn and they're like nope now we're gonna we've got to kill it like we've you know and the only way to do it is Burn it all down,
1: blow it up like my yeah. laundry pile.
2: Yeah. <laughs> burn it down. I, I love the fact that like I, I was trying to figure out like this is what you're saying about loose cannon. Because there's a part of me going like, yeah, burn it all down, and then I'm like, no, that's the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> Isolate, you know. You said about coming through uh, through COVID, you know, having to do regular testing and stuff. You'd be like, okay, right. We're all doing the same test again. We're all in the room. Let's do the test. <laughs> <laughs> do whatever, right? Right. We're not it. So it's still out there, right? We stay together as a group as much as possible. And then we hunt it down and burn it. And if we sacrifice part of the building, fine. But then every day we have to do a blood test. <laughs> used to it now, you know, do your testing, quarantine. But their response again is typically male, isn't it? It's no common sense. It's just sort of like, you know, burn it. <laughs> um,
1: it's exactly like there's no working together. Exactly how, what a clever approach to this
2: problem. Yeah. And they're like, nope. Yeah. Blow it up. Well, you get the feeling that like, if they had had certain characters in, if certain characters had survived, you may at least have that. It's like the doctor, mm. maybe even Blair. Or even Gary may have had a more no, Gary's useless.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, fair point. Gary would have made it worse.
2: Yeah, he did just sat moping in the corner. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you think you get the feeling that there's other characters that may have given a more reasonable approach, you know. And what you're left with is a mechanic and a pilot who <laughs> basically is going, like, you know, the people that are left, and this this, this sounds awful, but the, it whittles down to uh the cook the mechanic, and uh, the pilot, that's very specific skill sets. Mm-hmm. And they're not, for want of a better phrase, not there, they, you know, they didn't go into those because they wanted to be huge intellects. You know what I mean? They're sort of, which sounds very patronising, but that's, like you said, they're not there to make strategic decisions. They make very quick decisions in the sense of the... Yeah. If, if this gets out into the world, then we've got to save the world. And, yeah, and,
1: if if I'm flying along in a helicopter and MacReady is flying it and there's a problem. that's what I want him to do. That's what he is trained to do. He has a very specific set of skills and he, and and I want him to save my life in a helicopter. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Charles, I need an engineer to do something because this thing is broken. If it's not fixed, we will all die of lack of oxygen. I need you to do that. Engineers, you are excellent. Yes. Engineer away. Making strategic decisions about how we find and kill an alien that could be anybody at any yeah. point—you are not my people for that.
2: Yeah, it's a bit like. Can, can I see your resumes? Ah, yeah. ah, you're not really suited for this job.
1: You you sit in a shack by yourself drinking all day long. Yeah, I'm you not get, sure I want you to be in charge.
2: No, you get pissy at a female chess machine. Let's yeah. not let's not get put you in charge. Um, but this is the thing, and this comes to this one of these things. I was it, it, it made me curious actually watching this version because I was thinking this, like, you know, in this time watching this. Because before you can get sort of whipped up into this, this sort of like the protagonist as the hero. You, know, you have that thing of like, well, of course he's the hero because he's the protagonist. It's not always the case because there are other characters. And I think I now think of Macready in the same vein as maybe not as much, but like there are other characters that you go, you're not supposed to like them. <laughs> You know, like Rorschach from Watchmen being the ultimate Where everyone goes, oh, he's really cool You go, yeah, but you're not supposed to like him
1: <laughs> People misunderstand Rorschach Yeah, like, yeah He's a very, very bad person
2: Yeah, that, exactly And sort of, I think with MacReady It's that thing of like, which Kurt Russell is cool And I love Kurt Russell, he's amazing But it's that thing of going like, Macready's The decisions that MacReady makes aren't they made under pressure and all sort of stuff They're not the best decisions. Like there would have been a different scenario in this but people, like you said, though, he makes that grand sacrifice for the greater good. But does he?
1: Mm-hmm. I love the ending so much. Yeah. I love it. So do you like to look at it as a hopeful ending? No. Where, oh, come on. So, you know, at the end, we see the walls of distrust start to break down between Macready and Charles. You don't see that. You don't think, oh, they've realised that their toxic masculinity is bad and now they've got to work together. You no. don't see that. You don't see that hope.
2: No, uh, no. not not at all. Do you? <laughs> no. No. Not at all.
1: <laughs> I have heard that though. I, I think have. It's lovely that people think that, but I some want to watch people... this film and be depressed. Yeah. I want some to be people... scared. So yeah. I want to be tense, and I want to be depressed. That's what I want from this film, and it delivers all those things.
2: I I did go online and have a look because I was curious about because there was one thing I was like, is child the thing? like that's and there's, there's obviously people that say well because of this this and this he clearly is and then they say well because of this this he isn't and even john carpenter's like eh,
1: yeah yeah i it. can't
2: i don't know and i couldn't tell you like it's, it's for you to make up your own mind and i love that
1: so it's mccready and that's why he drinks and shares it to infect well, that's
2: exactly it so there's that thing as well because we've heard that thing as i said about sharing the food mm-hmm. where you it's know the
1: little nuggets that i yeah love.
2: And so that, but there's that moment at the end because then McCready says that when his last lines is, you know, they said, "Well, what?" Because Charles, like, well, what are we going to do now? And he says, "Oh, we could just sit here and see what happens." And so there's a part of me getting, "That's exactly it." I'm like, "Oh, fuck!" Like, <laughs> you know, really be... wants to see the world burn. Yeah,
1: because somebody a... has hurt that man. Yeah, he is not dealing with it.
2: No, no. Well, him and Jim Beam are dealing with it. <laughs> Um, but yeah that's the point is that, that ending is there's no arc nope there's no, so, no character arc I love it no there's nothing at the end where they're like you know this is the noble sacrifice they sort of get to that point of like we can't let it get out of here because I think we have a natural inbuilt survival instinct for the greater good anyway and I think the majority of people would do that at least I'd hope to think so but like even the end like they blow it up and then there's this Macreed and Charles and there is that thing of like if that if a helicopter arrived in that moment, do I think either one would be like, no, you can't, we can't go. Or would they both be like, woohoo, scramble on board. Yep, exactly. Or the
1: alternative, which is they say that they think the thing is going back into hibernation. Yes. So do they want to be there and freeze and their bodies be found and defrost somewhere that's less isolated so they can infect things like it's so good
2: and that's what i'm saying it's such a downbeat ending like there's no resolution yeah there's no resolution
1: make me sad
2: (laughs) um but you say about that, it's just that tension that you left with at the end because there would have been and i'm sure they got notes for this if it was it wasn't a big film like it went under the radar a little bit with the studios and all that kind of stuff but if this was a big film now, if this was coming out, there would have been a note that says, Happen. Oh no, we need McCready to be the hero. So you've got to answer all those questions. You know, he's either got to kill Charles in a sort of like a, Charles has got to reveal himself in that last minute and he's got a flamethrower in him or something. And then, you know, at the end of Predator, just be stood there in the, in the nuclear dust to be saved. You know, a helicopter sort of coming down as he stands there with his hands on his hips, sort of thing. Like that, that would be the note, wouldn't it? Like, we've got to have that resolution. But I love the fact that the, the, the thought for this one is, um, no, that we're going to leave you with this thought that uh, you don't know what happened. They may have frozen, as you say, frozen and be found later and then thawed out and the infection starts all over again somewhere else. But we don't want a sequel. I don't need a sequel. Didn't need a prequel either. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're right. The ending is fantastic. It's so well done. Um, and it's ambiguous and I love the fact the ambiguity is there. Um, do you think though, in, 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 I was watching it, and I've been thinking about this um, recently because of my scorings that I use on different platforms., um, you know, like five out of five, ten out of ten, those sort of things. And people bandy that stuff around at the time and I'm always like, huh, is there a five out of five film? Is there a film that's just perfect? But then I was thinking, like, is it? Is it? Should it be perfect for me? And I think that's the difference, isn't it? And that's the sort of thing. Um, the example being the only film I've given five out five out of five for this year has been uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, because it's, it's, it's fucking phenomenal. That film. It's, it made me. It made me laugh. It made me thrill. It made me cry. Brilliant film. But watching this again, I was like, this film is so packed, so tense, and so fucking dark I almost think this is a five out of five film I don't know what, what are your thoughts I'm just, I'm just nodding I which isn't
1: great podcast content um yeah. well so scoring I also have an issue with so my other half Kevin and I used to do letterboxed religiously ah, that's what I used.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah but we we just don't do it now because life uh toddler don't really watch things that much anymore um but we also used to always used to have this debate that sort of, you know, a, a two and a half star film, isn't a bad film. It just means you went and enjoyed it. And that was it. Whereas yeah. a five star film is something for us that like completely blew us away. So, you know, films like Moonlight, you know, five out of five. Films, mm-hmm. That film is amazing. Um, I always say, I want to give the room five stars, but Kevin doesn't let me. Because um, <laughs> so that film's amazing. I watched it so many times. It's the film I've watched most at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, that's who I am as a person. Um, <laughs> and this for me is a five out of five. Mm. Like I, you, I don't really care about other people's ratings, but in terms of what this film, what I feel this film sets out to achieve, and what it does, I think it exceeds expectations. Nothing yeah. will ever be the first, you know, I can't remember a lot of stuff, I'm nearly 40, a lot of shit's happened to my life, <laughs> a lot of things fall out of my head, like trying to live in the here and the now. Um, but I still remember the first time watching this film, mm-hmm. like I, with absolute clarity, I remember it. And I remember being, just not knowing how I felt at the end because I Mm. I don't know what I have watched. I don't know what this film is. And then I I watch this film regularly. I watch it probably every year, maybe. Mm. Um, And I still find new things or interesting things or, you know, or even feel the same things, but still enjoy it. Yeah. And so for me, that's why it works so well. I just think it's just, it's a film that, that, hasn't so there's been so many other things that like you know been remade there's been homages to it x-files do one for example a very good one a very good one but it's not it's not this nothing lives up to it and it's not this film is not flashy you know it's not i mean i do think it is out to that to shock and scare but not in Mm. a not in a gaudy way um and i just think this film is an unusual film that so so Kevin didn't watch it until fairly recently and he was like I know everything about the film and he he's had the same problem with other horror films uh, that, yes. that I've shown mm. him and so for, you know he felt the same about Alien he was like I just know everything so it ruins it for me but he he was like but I understand why this for you is the film because he you know he was like I get it he just didn't feel it and I think that's that's why this film is so good because he had never seen it before until like five years ago and he knew everything from it.
2: Yeah. You, you, it's best if you go into this film dark, like, yeah. you don't know anything. I definitely agree. I was just on a lot though. And I, I you know, you I, I totally agree with everything you've just said about this, this idea of how to, to uh, measure a film and it's your personal thing. Um, And this idea of the first time you see a film and it just sort of sinks in and it just sort of hits you. It hits that spot where you're just sort of like, I've had a moment. Like watching this film is a moment in my life, which is why people like, you know, you and I sort of like, there are films, we are film bosses, we film lovers, because there are films we've watched. We've gone, this is a moment. Like I will remember this moment in the future. Um, But 1982, this film came out in 1982. Year I was born. Was it? Year yeah. after I was born, December 81. So I'm just a, a bit shy. Oh, you're so young. Yeah, you're so. Oh,
1: no, 81. Ha <laughs> ha. 81. You <are>
2: me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Thanks a lot for <laughs> um, But 82 is a real sort of like one of those oddly pivotal years. Because um, not, you know, for, you had The Thing, which has now become renowned as a classic. Um, uh, Blade Runner comes yeah. out in 82. And another one that was sort of like derided and did poorly at the time and is now regarded. You know, by almost everyone that sees it as a sort of a, a classic uh science fiction film. In fact, I
1: mean, are you talking about Grease too?
2: No, <laughs> we can do it if you want. I haven't, I haven't seen it since. Go, uh, um, go,
1: listen to my Femme on film episode.
2: <laughs> I, w- I will do. It's one of the ones I, ne- I didn't listen to it because I, I've never liked. I didn't. I don't like Grease for a start. I have. No, I, I don't stand,
1: like Grease. I can't stand like the first Greece one. So Sounds bit like, yeah. I'm not a fan of these. Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's
2: you fine. No, no, funny. it's the thing. But also in '82, you get sort of like there's a there's a transition to other things. It's an interesting year because you also get uh, Rambo: First Blood uh, Part One, and Arnie becomes hits his stride with Conan the Barbarian. So it's a real transition into the '80s, and you can see that like both Conan and and Rambo did exceedingly well in '82, and the thing and Blade Runner didn't do well at all. Mm. And so you can see there's a real shift in cinema um, and what people wanted at that time, but also this new wave of, of, of um, directors coming through, you know, like Ridley Scott making Blade Runner off the back of Alien and, and John Carpenter coming through. you got Young Spielberg coming through. I think E.T.'s 82 as well. Yeah.
1: yeah, so E.T. came out at the same time as The Thing, didn't it? And, yes. Um, was the friendly alien. <laughs> yes. The Thing was
2: yeah. not. <laughs> um. And so, like, yeah, you, 82 is, is this really interesting year where sort of like you can see where people's attention and people sort of like desire is with these blockbustery kind of films. And then these films that weren't, but like when you look at like when you, when you re-examine them now, like the, this film could be made today. Yeah, 100%.
1: They would butcher it today.
2: Yeah, yeah, They've yeah, had yeah, too exactly much good. money,
1: too too much, uh, yeah. too many visual effects instead of practical effects. Oh god, yeah, yeah. They'd have practical. to have a happy yeah. ending.
2: Yes, yeah. Just go watch the thing twenty eleven. <laughs>
1: um, yeah,
2: it's flipping awful. It's
1: Met- so awful. Do you know? I was so excited because so I was like, oh, they're doing the thing with a woman. How exciting! Yeah. and I love the Mary theme. Elizabeth Winstead. She's yeah. ace. She's fantastic. I was like, you know, they're gonna do. They're gonna. They're gonna really whole to the core of the original
2: no no they really didn't no. um but yeah so it's interesting how this sort of these the, you know this film does stand up and you can watch it today and if you've never seen it before like you know you've listened to this we've probably spoiled the crap out of it to be <laughs> honest but seriously go and watch it like there's some really good versions of this that like, is in the blue Ra- there's um, at least two blu-ray transfers out there um there's a standard one. Arrow did a version which is really good. There's a 4K version out there which apparently looks amazing um, if you're into that kind of thing. But I can imagine like, this snow and the crystal clarity of some of the vistas in this film would look amazing in, in this, 4K. And
1: this film is beautiful to look at oh, as
2: well. Yeah, yeah.
1: Even, the, even the gore and the body horror, you know, so I recently watched Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, which I do not like. Um, but, you know, you have the squid face man, mm-hmm. um, octopus face man, and I could just watch that. I could just watch his face for two hours. That, that. I could watch the yeah. practical effects of these gross, of the gross thing from this film for two hours.
2: That's a side note, but like um, David Jones from the podcast, that is That's probably some James of the thing. best CGI ever done it's actually perfect it's like, i think it's like 2006 and it's sort of like the best cgi ever done it's barely been and i don't know how they did it but it's it's phenomenal um, especially considering some of the cack that gets put out on screen nowadays mm-hmm. but you're right about this and one thing i would say just about the visuals just as a final note you're right because it's a very very good looking film and about carpenter he has this fantastic way of um giving you the clean view of all the snow And often what he will do is he will put those images up. So you'll have like the clean views of the snow. And then all of a sudden it'll be inside and it'll be claustrophobic and it'll be brown and gray and, look, you know, sort of cluttered and dirty. And so you constantly get this thing of like this wonderfully beautiful, but incredibly dangerous Arctic vista. And then this tight packed um, container that these guys live in. And it really hammers home a bit the claustrophobia as well about how Tight this thing is, um, which is also I think a, a great sort of thing about building an environment of how small and, and, and tight and close this thing is. So it is, it's, it's a fantastically well made film. It's so such
1: so you just summed it up perfectly, I, and I and I love that that it 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 works with what it has. Yes, to bring you into it. That's a terrible sentence, but I think you know what I mean. But at the same time, he's not afraid. So my favorite thing about Studio Ghibli films yes we are talking about John Carpenter's (laughs) thing and I'm talking about Studio Ghibli and the same thing is and I've talked about this with you I've talked about people I talk about all the time is they are not afraid to hold a shot they're not afraid to show you a vista and let you sit there and take it in and it's exactly what you've just said when Mm. he's outside he will hold that shot just a beat too long and then so then when you go inside, you are so it is so yes, because you've been allowed to sit with it just for a little bit too long mm. so that you almost relax or you're at least taking it in. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, no, you're back in. Everybody's paranoid. Everybody's crazy. You're shit scared. Yes, or or even before the thing comes along, you start to get a sense of the space because he, you know, he's showing you the different characters in these small spaces. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look that small from the outside. He shows you the whole research station, holds it for a bit too long, and then brings you into the space. It's just perfect.
2: It is. It's phenomenally well done. Anyway, we shall draw to a close. Yeah, any final thoughts on any final thoughts on the thing from another world or the thing nineteen eighty two?
1: I'm sorry, The Thing from Another World. Maybe I'll go back and watch you properly. I feel bad. But you've just got nothing compared to this.
2: I think you're right. I agree with that. I think it's fair. There's, there's, you know, this is that thing about remakes, isn't it? I'll, I'll throw this in. I don't know why they remake good films. Yeah. Remake, remake crappy films or yeah. remake films that no one knows about and make them well. The Thing from Another World became The Thing. The Fly, although I do like the... Uh, uh, the surprise one but the Jeff Goldblum one by David Cronenberg is is okay. phenomenal yeah um, and so there's that that's what I'm saying so you know it, it, it's it's it was fine as a 50s b-movie monster movie does its thing but the thing is so much better and it says so much more um and I think that's why it's it's still talked about today absolutely beautiful Anyway, any, any any final thoughts? Sorry, I completely crowded your last thought. Then no, no,
1: I think you've had some lovely final thoughts, and if we have any more thoughts, we'll just be here for another hour. So. Yes,
2: that's true. We haven't <laughs> talked about the score, which wasn't John Carpenter. But the oh, ones, but
1: the score <laughs> is just
2: Ennio Morricone, and but I'm not going to go because it's very good. Yeah, um, it's really anyway, hot. It is. I need to go, I need to t- I need to go drink a gallon of of something. Um. Anyway. Ria, it's been wonderful having you I always love our conversations. It's always great fun. Um, and you will be back before the end of the year because oh, yes. you've got more Mike. Um, <gasps> you've got a bit more Mike.
1: And this is a, a link to Mike Flanagan. So at the end of, um, oh, my God, why is it completely, Bindyke Mass,
0: mm.
1: you know, they burn up the whole island to save the rest <laughs> of the world. Yes. And then the thing...
2: I will make wow. tenuous
1: links to Mike Flanagan, the studio everything. and everything we talk about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we're here. We're going to be talking about the fall of the House of Usher.
1: Yes, which I am going to read before yes. I watch well, it and then we talk about
2: it. I have it on the shelf just over there somewhere. You can see my fingers pointing. And we will be talking about it because I will be doing it for story time. Uh, Tony Farina. Quarter. Yeah, big bad tones coming on. He's, he's, a, he's a legend. Anyway, where can people find you and where can people hear you?
1: Yes, find me at Rhea Carrigan on Twitter and Instagram or at Fem on Film Pod. Uh, listen to me in Comics in Motion for Film on Film or within the Comics Spotlights with the lovely Tony that we've just talked about. am also doing some Disney stuff with um, Spider Dan, Genuine Chit Chat cool. Mike, and the wonderful Megan. And of course, I'm a pop gorilla, but go and listen to our Mike Flanagan stuff because it's still possibly one of my favourite conversations I've had. It was
2: had. really good fun, that was. Thank you. Anyway, There'll be, be contacts linked down below for each of those things, so go check those out. But as for Ria, thank you very much for joining us. It's been great fun. Thank you. Oh, and,
1: and go and listen to us talk about Ms. Marvel because, Yes, yeah. go check
2: out the Ms. Marvel podcast because that, uh, that was excellent. And it will probably be followed very soon by a uh, She-Hulk one, and I did the Moon Knight one for Comic Emotion, so we've all been on there doing our Disney Plus piece. But if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to support us, go leave a review. As we've said, you know, it's about out what, what's a perfect podcast. Five stars, exactly. 20th Century Geek, there you go. And if you really enjoy what we're doing uh, and you want to support us further, we have a Patreon. Go check us. There's a link down below, down below. Uh, patreon.com slash 20cgmedia. And we do all kinds of things on there. We do lots of other podcasts, 30-minute thoughts. I do uh, Trekking Through the Twilight Zone with um, my good friend Julian Darius uh, and other, other bits and pieces. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's been fantastic talking to you. And Ria, really, it's been great talking with you once again. Uh, We shall do this again soon, but for now, ladies and gentlemen, I shall see you on the next episode.